Are you confused about what supplements you should actually be taking? In a world full of juice cleanses, detox teas, fancy promises, it can really be hard to trust anything. But high quality supplements, when dosed appropriately, can actually help support your fitness goals. And that's why I use Legion. I've been using Legion supplements since the beginning of this year, and after years of never really fully committing to one single brand due to lack of transparency in their labeling, unnecessary fluff, or just reporting things as blends and not knowing what's actually my product, I finally found a solid science-based product line that fits my supplementing needs. Legion's products are 100% naturally sweetened, and my favorite part, they are fully transparent in their labeling, and they use dosages that are actually backed by what the science says you need to be effective and support your fitness goals. And not the least amount you can get away with, and not just labeling as blends, but fully transparently telling you what's in your product and why they dosed it that way. And this is huge, because it lets you know exactly what you're taking and if it's actually going to be effective, and then you can know what's going into your body. My personal favorites are their cinnamon cereal whey. Yes, it tastes as good as it sounds. The mocha cappuccino plant protein. Pulse, their pre-workout, which comes in non-stimulant or caffeinated stimulant based. And Recharge, the recovery blend, which also gives me the creatine I need to move weights well in the gym. Legion offers 100% money back guaranteed if you're not happy with their products. And you can save 20% off your first order today with our code MESSYMIDDLE at checkout. That's M-E-S-S-Y. M-I-D-D-L-E at checkout to save 20% today. This is Alyssa Olenek of Little List Fitness. And I'm Kate, otherwise known as Coach Carmichael. We are PhD students, endurance athletes who lift, outdoors enthusiasts, and entrepreneurs. We believe the narrative of the fitness and wellness industry is often far too extreme. So forget about the black and white messages that you've heard. On this podcast, we believe that life is best lived in the messy middle. Hello there, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Messy Middle Podcast. Today, I'm going to talk you through everything Grand Canyon. So for those of you who are not aware, I've been in the Grand Canyon four different times, but this past November, I did something called the Rim to Rim to Rim, which is where you run or hike from the South Rim to the North Rim and back, or vice versa, North Rim, South, and back to North. Um, but since I once I did this, it sparked a bunch of questions. A lot of people were interested in this experience. I also, this past year as well, in March 2020, right before lockdown, was at the Grand Canyon as well. And I did something called a cowboy loop where you run down the Bright Angel Trail, go across the river, and come back up the South Kaibab Trail, or inverse, vice versa. You can kind of do it either way. Those are the two trails on the South Rim that you took. And then the second time I was there, I hiked down Bright Angel to uh, Plateau Point, which overlooks the river but doesn't go all the way down to the river. You could just take that same path down to the river if you went the other way. And then the first time I was there, I only sat in my car and watched the sunrise from the rim, and that's it. So I've had a couple of experiences at the uh, Grand Canyon, and I think I've had one for almost every level of experience. So hopefully there's something that everyone can take out of this podcast today. So let's kind of work from the bottom up. Uh, going into the Grand Canyon, the Grand Canyon is actually in northern Arizona, and it's pretty remote. It's kind of in the middle of nowhere. It's uh, probably about three to four hours from Phoenix, depending on you know what route you take, what rim you're going to. It's about maybe two to five hours away from Zion, depending on how what rim you're going to. Again, it's kind of out there, but it's beautiful. It's incredible. I highly recommend it. And so if you're going into the park just to go to the park, you want to visit, you want to see it, you're kind of not at that point where you're ready to hike, you're just going to kind of go in a little bit. The south rim is going to be the rim that is going to be the most popular, where most people are going to go. The south, north rim, which I just saw, was beautiful, but the south rim is on the Phoenix side of it, so it's usually a little bit more accessible. But it doesn't really matter. You can see the Grand Canyon from either side. It's beautiful regardless of where you're looking at it. So 
it's going to be less crowded though on the north room but i will add that the south room is going to be the one that's going to be open most of the year the north room does close over winter or access to it um there's no buses or shuttle systems or any of that so if you are, are hiking keep in mind the season that you're going the south room is going to be the most accessible it's going to be the more, most crowded as well when you're going there so you go in since it is a western u.s national park there is going to be an entry fee about 25 bucks, I think 35 for the week, your normal national park fee, nothing crazy. And you don't need to reserve anything to go into the park physically unless you want camping reservations or anything else like that or for specific activities or if you're actually physically camping in the canyon. But other than that, you just need to pass to go in as long as you're kind of going in and out, day hiking, things like that. You don't need any formal registration or anything like that. I will say I have been there twice in November once in March and once in July. And so the time of year is going to drastically affect your experience there. So July was super hot. I camped there at the campground that I made a reservation for in the national park, super hot. We hiked to Plateau Point during that time, which I would consider to be a more moderate hike. So it's definitely not easy. You're still going down quite a bit, having to climb out quite a bit, but it was a lot shorter of a hike than going to the river, a little less strenuous. There's a little less descending and ascending coming back out. So because it was so hot and we had my friend with me who wasn't as much of a trail runner, we went just to the plateau point, but that was still beautiful and we looked over the river. But the nice thing about the Grand Canyon is that no matter what your skill or fitness level is, you can go in as far as you want and come back out. And there's tons of points along the south rim when you're taking either Great Angel or South Kaibab where there's overlooks or there's Literally, there's bathrooms, there's tons of places that you can go and you can choose how far down you're going to go down and how much you want to be able to have to climb out. But the important thing to consider when you're thinking of summer trips is that the lower you go, the hotter it gets. Now, this is something that's great when it's when the winter or it's colder out, but when you're at the top of the rim, it's going to be the coolest or the coldest, depending on the time of year they're there. But when you're going down in the canyon, it's going to get hotter and hotter and hotter. So if you're going in the summer and you're going to actually do a longer hike, it's highly recommended to go early, like before the sunrise. When we did the hike, we went at 4 a.m. And we got lucky. It was, a, it was a cloudier day, so it was a little bit cooler, but still pretty hot. It can get hot. It can get into the hundreds there in the summer at the bottom at the base at the river. So keep that in mind. People do get, you know, heat stroke or heat exhaustion, dehydration, electrolyte loss, things like that when they go in there. So making sure that you are prepared for that, having water, having electrolytes, having food, having fuel, and being responsible about your own fitness level. And going down is the easy part. You know, I know downhill descending doesn't always seem like the easiest part, but it's going to be a lot easier than when it's hot and heavy and strenuous and you're climbing back out. So remember going down is gonna go a lot quicker, swifter, and coming back out is going to take longer because it is very steep and you're also fighting against altitude on the way back out. So just being responsible. So that was my first trip there was that summer. It was beautiful, we went early. I didn't think it was that crazy hard at the time for fitness level reference sake because I know a lot of people asked about that. I had ran my first trail half marathon that April and I hadn't run a whole bunch since but I had been hiking a bit and running a little bit. So at that time I would say that I probably had somewhere between like I don't know, a 10K to half marathon running base. I'm generally a fit, healthy person, so keep that in mind as well. So I didn't think that was crazy. My friend who also runs half marathons did it with it. She thought it was a little bit harder, but it still was doable. She enjoyed it. She had a great time. Regis is Regis, and he's a crazy psychopath, so that's just what he does, and so nothing phases him because he doesn't feel pain, I don't think. Um, that's a joke. He's an ultra runner by trade. 
And so I would say the entry level into the Grand Canyon is going to be going to the South Rim, enjoying the tourist things, the gift shops, all of that stuff, and then just going from either Bright Angel or South Kaibab, you can look up these trails online, and just descending in as far as you are comfortable and coming back out, and that's a great place to go, and you can control that distance, right? So you can say, I'm going to go in a mile and come back out a mile. You can go down a couple miles. You can go all the way to the river and come back out. Just make sure that you're preparing with hydration, food, knowing how long it's going to take, and time of year and being responsible. So don't, in the summer, go and show up at 8 a.m. and hike down to the canyon. Like, if you don't have a high fitness status and or you have no water, like, that would be a horrible idea. So be responsible. Look into what you're trying to do. And so the, the third trip that I took this past March, I did something called the Cowboy Loop. This is a loop made famous by these Conachino cowboys that are out of the Conachino National Forest. If I'm saying that wrong, I apologize to my uh, Arizonians. So they're a group of really elite, crazy, super fit ultra runners that run out of Flagstaff. And so it's called the Cowboy Loop because what they do is they go to the Grand Canyon and train. Like that's what they do for training. It's really cool. So it's about a 22-mile loop uh, that goes from... Like I said before, start at Bright Angel and you go down, you run along the river for a little bit and you come back out South Kaibab or vice versa. And so I will say that when you're doing these two different trails, Bright Angel is longer but less steep and then South Kaibab is going to be steeper but shorter. So keep that in mind when you're talking about like what trails you want to go on, your fitness status, what you're comfortable with. So it's going to be a lot more strenuous climbing out of South Kaibab, but it's also going to be a lot longer. Um, They're both really beautiful. I would say that Bright Angel is probably more of the touristy one if you're going to go down it. There's, you can go down and there's a, uh, I can't remember what it's called, but right before you go, you turn off, you either go to Plateau Point or you keep going down to the river. There's this river or water source that goes through the canyon and plateaus out there. And because of that, it's really lush and green. It's kind of like foresty, rainforesty, I guess, in the canyon. There's water sources, there's places to camp. And so if you're going there during the year, the, uh, the warmer parts of the year, generally, um, once you're probably in April, May, the water surges will turn back on because it won't be as cold. And it's super beautiful. You get water there. You can either go to Plateau Point and you keep going down. So there's going to be a little bit more stops along the way. That's a more popular area of the trail. But also South Kaibab doesn't really have all of the bathrooms and bells and whistles. Um, that's a little bit, I think, of one of the older trails. I can't, I don't remember my Grand Canyon history that well, but um, it's, but it's very beautiful. So I definitely would recommend trying to experience a little bit of both. The views are both very different in each one, but I came back out to South Kaibab that one time and it actually had really incredible views of the canyon that I hadn't seen the first time that I'm really glad that I experienced. It's a little more open, it feels like, rather than being canyoned in, uh, all things and considered. And so, that took us about seven hours and I want to say 20 minutes when we did it. I did it with my friend Reagan, who's training for her first 50K. So I actually wasn't in that great of running shape when I did that. I had been doing a ton of CrossFit um, last year and I was probably not running more than 15 miles a week, maybe an eight mile long run, but I had a pretty good fitness base. I have been running trail and ultra marathons at this point for years. So the experience helps a lot. And when we're talking Grand Canyon, you're really just talking being able to fall downhill fast run really flat, and then hike out. So I was definitely sore after I could have been in better shape, but we probably even could have done it faster, but we took a lot of time for photos and videos and enjoying it and talking to people. So there's no rush when you're in there, but just being aware. So March and November are going to be trickier times because you have to catch the weather, but both times that I was there this past year was beautiful, perfect, amazing weather. You can get really snowy. You can get 
can get bad storms because it's out west in the canyon, things can roll in, but we got really lucky. So it was actually fairly warm. There was very little ice only at the very top. Um, we ran in shorts and t-shirts at some points in time. And so it was an incredible experience, a great day. I would highly recommend that for people who are probably not ready for the rim to rim to rim um, and or need to be able to get back to their car. They're not trying to shuttle. Maybe they're looking for a longer day hike type thing. We could actually kind of finish that probably in daylight if you needed to or with headlamps with a more reasonable amount of time. Um, but I will give you guys the disclaimer that coming back out that if you park at the top of Great Angel Trails right outside there, you'll, it's about three miles back to your car, which was you'll see here in the room to room term story was something that we massively regretted. So Greg and I were able to catch a shuttle back at that point. But when we just had finished room to room term, we were not. So keep that in mind when you're doing that, just knowing where you're at, there is about a three mile distance between those two trailheads, or you have the option, which is very common, people do all the time, they just go from the top to the river and back. Again, very strenuous, most people are doing that from Bright Angel, it's a little bit longer, but you have these huge, beautiful crossbacks that keep going down the canyon, or switchbacks, I mean, it's incredible. So kind of up to you, there's a lot of options. I use the app Trail Run Project, but what I would make sure that no matter what you're doing is that you're being honest with yourself about your fitness levels. You make the promise to yourself that you'll turn around if you ever get to a point where it's too much or too hard or whatever it is, and you come prepared, which I'll answer you guys' preparation questions here at the very end. So to go into the rim to rim to rim experience. So this November, Regis and I did this. And so rim to rim to rim stands for starting from one rim of the Grim Canyon, crossing the entire canyon, touching the other rim, and coming back. So you can do it north to south or south to north. It really doesn't matter. I would say most people generally just do most things starting at the south rim of the Grand Canyon. There's no right or wrong answer. And so I will give you guys the disclaimer that Regis and I going into this, I didn't really run a whole bunch right before it, but we had both raced 100K about a month exactly before this. So even though I didn't really run between my 100K and the Grand Canyon, I did some other cardio, but also I still was coming off of like nine months of ultra marathon training. So kind of keeping that in mind that there wasn't no training there, even though I didn't really train going into it. And same with Regis, we both, you know, had run that 100K. So Rim to Rim to Rim was about when we did it, we did Bright Angel down across the bottom up North Kaibab, back down North Kaibab. And then we got, when we got back, we decided to actually take South Kaibab back out because it was getting late and we just kind of wanted out. And so it's shorter distance, but then we were also away from the car at the top there. So it's kind of up to you. But it ended up being about 50 miles total for the day for us because of the differences in the trails that we took. But it ended up being a good day overall. It's anywhere between 42 and 48, 50 miles, depending on whatever routes that you decide to take. And so we stayed in Flagstaff. I've stayed in Flagstaff when I stayed in March before. And the other, other time, I camped physically at the South Rim. And so we got up. We drove from Flagstaff. We probably got up at like 2.30 in the morning. Got ready. We had our packs packed the night before. I will talk to you guys about food I packed and everything here in a second. And so we got up early, got some carbs in us, got some fluid in us, got some caffeine in us, and we drove from Flagstaff to the Grand Canyon. That's going to be about an hour and a half, I want to say, is the, the drive, maybe a little less. And so we went to the South Rim. You, we bought a week pass because we went there a couple of times when we were there. We only really ran that one big time. And so we started and we got on trail at 5 a.m. like on the dot. Good news for you guys, friends. The bathrooms were open at the South Rim at the time. So that's, I know it's a worry of a lot of people. And there are some bathrooms on the way down. So we started at 5 a.m. 
We started in headlamps. It was actually very, very cold at the top. I was wearing my puffy jacket to start, but I quickly took that off and I really had regretted actually carrying that around the rest of the day. But then once we got to the night time and it was really cold and we were going back to our car, I was actually glad that I hadn't ditched it. So one of those things were during the day, I thought that it was useless that I had it, but I was actually really glad that I kept it when we got to the end of the night. Bearing in mind that November, the rim, it's going to be cold. It's winter there. Um, it was like 22 degrees when we finished it. But then at the bottom of the canyon during the day, it was like in the 60s, very sunny, very hot, very warm. So really, it kind of is such a contrast to the Grand Canyon that when you're packing and preparing, you kind of have to just be ready for it all. I had a rain windbreaker, a thinner coat, plus my puffy, plus multiple layers because you really never know what you're going to get into or how it's going to be. So I started in a puffy, leggings, gloves, a buff. Quickly, we probably descended maybe a mile, which again, I think it's for every 500 feet or something like that, the Grand Canyon increases temperature by like five degrees or 10 degrees or whatever it is. Every mile, it's maybe 10 degrees. Whatever it is, it becomes significant as you fall down in the canyon. And so we're running in the dark, headlamps, shedding layers. Um, so I took off my puffy coat. It's pretty warm. We kept going. I don't believe at any point in time I actually... No, I did take off my leggings at the very, very bottom, and then I ran in shorts and a long sleeve for most of the rest of the day until we came back up in that clip pants and a puffy back on. So as you can see, there's a big contrast in that. So really when it comes to apparel, you kind of just pack it all, except for in the summer where you're going to be very hot and you just want to have a lot of sun protection. And so I had similar experience when I started in March. I had a bunch of layers on, took them off, put them back on because it was cold at the top. So again, you have great stark contrast in the differences because of altitude simply you're you're starting at like 8,000 feet and you're going down to 2,000 feet and then coming back up so it's just going to be significant so we scurried down we actually made it all the way to the river at about sunrise and we crossed the bridge and we got to Phantom Ranch so Phantom Ranch is the really famous campground at the base of the Grand Canyon you can camp there so for people who are interested in doing this in backpacking um, this is one of the places that you can get passes for and reserve. There's another campground a little further away from this one too as well, maybe a couple of miles past it, where you can also camp. But this is where you have to reserve spots ahead of time if you are backpacking it. Um, but if you're just running through, you don't need any passes, you don't need anything like that as long as you're leaving the same day. And so we stopped there and we refilled water. There was There's bathrooms, like actual physical toilets at the bottom. There's a couple river and creek systems. So we had water filtration devices. I used a Cadron. You can use whatever system you want. There's no free running water, but there was water sources to filter across the canyon. So that's what we did. And so this was the second water source that we had encountered. Indian Gardens um, coming down Bright Angel was the first one that we had encountered. So we refilled some water there, fell a little bit more into the river, crossed it, changed clothes, refilled our food, went to the bathroom, filtered water, and kept going. So this is at the base of the canyon. And so we had just free fall down. I think it's about seven miles to this point. Sun had just risen, so we were getting warm. It was beautiful. It was great. I was super, super cranky the first mile or so because since I hadn't ran since 100K, I feel like I couldn't catch my legs or it just was moving quick. It was dark. I just the, It's actually pretty clear. There wasn't a whole bunch of ice, but sometimes running downhill in the dark is just not exactly the most coordinated activity for many of us and so at this point we're in the bottom and I've actually never been past this point in the canyon so everything was totally new to me and so what was shocking to me is I kind of expected it to be flat for a little bit and then to rapidly ascend up and it really wasn't like that at all so while it was climbing back up when you're going across the bottom it feels like you're just 
kind of it's 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 a very flat gradual ascent until it starts to rapidly spike upward to go up north kebab and so there was so much more of the canyon than i was expecting between this point it was actually really beautiful because you're physically like in the canyon so before when you're falling you're on those rims you're on those edges you're kind of like scaling the canyon i guess you could say but at this point it was really cool because you're just you're in it and it's super barren and open and like rolling hills, I guess, of these, this inside, I guess there's, there's waterfalls and rivers and rock walls. And I kind of understood for the first time ever, and this isn't meant to scare you guys, like how and why, when they say people die or get lost in the Grand Canyon, like this has made sense to me. Cause before when I had just been on maybe the more surface level things of it, or just those walls of it, I understood how people got hot or dehydrated and things like that. But I was like, well, where would they wander off to? But once I got into that like nitty gritty middle open kind of more remote part of the Grand Canyon, it was so cool because you both felt super removed from everything in the entire world. Like you're in the bottom of the world's most beautiful hole, right? But it kept going and going and it was super remote. And so it was both this really cool experience because it was kind of runnable, but it was also slowly going uphill. So it was also very slow. And then I kind of got to the point where I looked at the distance on my watch and I realized how much more I had to go to get to that north rim. And then I realized how much distance that we would have to do after. And I kind of had my first, oh, fuck, moment of the day right there. And so I kept going. I kept trucking along. Regis is kind of a little more ahead of me at this point in time. But generally, honestly, when we run together, Regis gets annoyed by me being super close to him. So we kind of keep our distance, do our thing. So I really kind of did the whole day as my own in my own head. And so with this being my first solo effort ultra attempt um, at this point in time, I did recognize I'm like, I don't have eight stations, I don't have people. And so I kind of put on some podcast, I kind of switched into that mode. So first coming down the canyon, I had music on, I actually hadn't downloaded any playlist, I forgot. So I only had like maybe two playlists that I didn't really love. So I put on some podcast, uh, just for some talking, some distraction. Um, I listened to a few things that I really liked. And so that really kind of got me through that middle section of the canyon. I actually ended up enjoying it. It was fun. I was kind of pushing the pace, trying to keep up with Regis. I would catch up to him. We would kind of have some fun, screw around, joke, you know, talk about the day um, as we were going. And then we kept trucking along. And so then we got to the North Kaibab. And so then you have to climb out of the canyon, right? So at this point, you're kind of slowly going uphill, but then you just start to really rapidly climb again. And again, this was so beautiful because you're seeing a whole different side of the canyon like you're running across the Grand Canyon which is insane in my head um but then you start climbing again in the and you climb and you climb but the the difference of the North Kaibab Trail from the south side is the south side kind of is like you're just falling very steeply where the north is a little more gradual so you'll climb and it'll flatten out and you'll climb and it'll flatten out and it seems to be a little bit more slower going even though you are ascending pretty rapidly after a certain point um, I will say right before the big steep climb up the north side, there was a river, so there was a water source. So again, if you have filtration bottles, there was probably about, after Phantom Ranch, I want to say there was two spots that you could refill. There was like a little creek crossing, and then there was that uh, location right before you kind of start to climb out. And there's a little house thing there. I don't know what it actually is, um, but it's easy to identify their signs. And then you kind of start to just ascend rapidly up to the canyon. And that's where I think the day really started to hit Regis and I both because he was moving pretty swiftly and I'm trying to keep up with him um, and I'm doing a pretty good job. But eventually I caught up to him and we sat in a rock probably about a mile down from the top of the north room. And he's like, oh, 
fuck, we're doing this. And I was like, yep. Because at this point, we're going to touch the North Rim. And so we get up to the top. There's snow. It's really cold. We put on our puffies just to keep the heat trapped in our body so we don't get too cold. There's bathrooms up there. We eat some food. We refill. We organize our packs. We kind of like repack things since things had got messed up from us changing clothes and moving things around. And we just made some jokes about being my tour guide. This is being the North Rim. And this will be our last stop before going back kind of thing. And then we just descended. So I got really lucky. There was cell signal at the top of the rim. So I downloaded a few playlists that basically saved me the rest of the day. And then I just started to run downhill super rapidly. I will say, though, that going down was a lot of fun. But it's also because it would flatten out. It would be runnable. And Regis was flying. He's a much better downhill runner than me. And so, again, just like I started the day, pissed at him for moving so fast. At this point, I'm like, fuck, he's so fast, he's so far away, I'm not going to be able to catch up with him. Holy shit, I have to replicate everything I just did. I have to go all the way back across this freaking hole. What the hell? So then I just kind of like started to have a little bit of a pity party going back down out of the canyon. I finally catch up to Regis at the water source, refill our bottles. I had run out of water at this point because I made the mistake of not refilling my bottles right before going up the North Rim, drink all of my water. So I'm coming back down, not having enough water. And I was like, never again, even though I did it again. And so I refilled my bottles. I was being a little cranky. Regis is making fun of me. And so usually my rule of thumb in ultra running and trail running in life is that if you're cranky, you need carbs. If you're happy, you need carbs because you're not getting happy much longer. And that will prevent you from not being happy more or less or being cranky or bonking and so I knew that I needed some water so I refilled some water I think I drank a liquid IV and then I also took um, from Regis a caffeine packet so like caffeinated water packets you get at Kroger or Walmart and so I put that in my water bottle and I shotgunned that and I was like let's go and so I feel like I got some carbs and caffeine in my body and within minutes all of a sudden my mood and my energy turned around it was the same flat middle part that was gradually increasing in uh, elevation before, but instead you're gradually going down. So it was more so uh, either flat or slightly downhill for miles and miles. And so I finally kind of got out of my funk. I started sh- shotgunning goose. If you guys know my ultra running history, I'm kind of notorious for having nausea and not being able to get food in. And what was interesting about this event, so even though it was a solo and I had to carry all my food on my back and it was self-supported, I actually was able to eat the most I've ever been able to eat while trail running. So I'm just crushing food, crushing calories. I wish I'd actually packed more at the time. So I'm just eating candy and gels and sports goos and chips and crackers and everything I have. And I'm just cruising along. And and then there's some hikers finally on this part. There's people that were backpacking through the bottom or hiking across it. And so I'd stop, I'd talk, I'd run fast to catch up to Regis. I'd back off him a little bit. I'd stop and talk with the hiker. And so I'm interacting with people. My, My spirit is boosting. And so even though the most of that day went from being like cranky to steady to kind of like trail joy during this moment was at the highest of the day. And it was really cool. I probably had like maybe a just a two or so hour section of just like, holy shit, dude, I'm in the Grand Canyon. And then I would stop and I would look at the South Rim and I would look at like, if you've ever been in the Grand Canyon, you don't know this or if you go and you just look and you're like, man, that seems so impossibly far away. It really was. And so I ran, I I remember one time looking and be like, that's a freaking scam. Then I have to be out on that room. It just seemed like it was 
physically impossible to ever get back to that point, but I knew that I had to do it. I had to get out of that hole. So that's the thing about doing self-supported ultra stuff is that if you put yourself in there, you have to get yourself out or you're paying. A, I mean, if you're in the Grand Canyon, you can get rescued by helicopter, but I'm not, I wasn't going to pay that much money to rescue myself for being lazy and tired. So I just kept running and I actually just, I was by myself, Regis was farther ahead, and I was just really enjoying just being in the freaking Grand Canyon and running, and it just, I had these moments when I'm trailing ultra running where I was like, this is the stupidest thing in the world, this is so idiotic, but also how cool is it, because my body got me to this place where no one else, unless their physical body or, you know, a, a donkey takes them there, but it takes so much effort to get to this point, you can't drive here, you can't just like walk right up to this point, like you have to expend physical ex- effort to get to this point, like this, so few people in the entire world have seen this, have experienced this, like with their own two feet. I just, I had that really awesome moment of trail joy and they're rare and they don't last long, but they are a thing that make it all worth it. And so finally my trail joy, not got crushed, but the reality of the situation was, uh, was coming. So we just, I got back to Phantom Ranch right there at the base of the river of the, uh, right before the South Rim climbing back out. Regis is tuckered out. He's tired. He's just over it. Um, I'm not too bad at this point in time. I mean, I'm tired. I'm a little deconditioned compared to Regis. So if Regis is hurting, then you know that I'm probably hurting a little bit too. But I didn't feel bad overall. He was just getting a little cranky. Um, and so I kept up with him the whole day. And so I, I, you know, I was happy with that. I was worried. He joked for weeks before we were going that he was going to leave me in the hole. But at this point, we filled up our water bottles at Phantom Ranch and the sun's basically about to set. It's about five or so p.m. But at this point in time, it's November and you're in the canyon. So the sun's going to set earlier in the canyon because it's going to set over the walls and, you know, you'll be able to see it a little more if you're flat at the rim. But the shadows are going to come over the walls and it's going to be darker a little bit sooner. And so we get to Phantom Ranch, we fill up our water bottles, we kind of rearrange our food. I put some clothes back on, use the bathroom, all those good things, kind of assess how much food I have left, how many calories I have left, how much water I'm really going to need to get out. And Regis makes the call to go back up South Kaibab instead of Bright Angel because even though Bright Angel is less steep, it was a couple miles more and he said that he would have rather moved those miles at the top when it was flat and just he just basically got to the point where he's like, I want out of this damn hole. And I was like, you know what? All right, let's go. So we made the decision to just kind of kick it into high gear. And so we got and we went, got up to South Kebab, took a few pictures, our first pictures of the day. And we just blasted music and put our headlamps on and we just crushed up. We actually climbed out the canyon pretty quickly. I, I don't know how many, I think I want to say it's like 6.8 miles. And so at that point we were like, okay, like three hours of really hard effort, two or three hours of really hard effort, which is, you know, if you say two or three hours of hard effort to anyone, that doesn't seem like a lot. But when you've been moving since five in the morning, it's 5 p.m., you've been moving for 12 hours, you're like, okay, like, all right, let's keep going. And so keep in mind at this point in my entire life, my 23 hour 100K is the longest I've ever gone. But before that, like my 50 miler before only took me like, it looked me a little under 12 hours. Quest for the Crest took me like 13 hours. So this is the second longest effort I've ever done in an ultra marathon distance. Um, and it was self-supported. So I will say that aspect made it incredibly hard. And so these last six miles really frame that because then it's, I'm in the dark. Regis is trucking up these hills with his big long legs and my little legs are scurrying as fast as they can and all I see is his headlamp and I am just chasing his headlamp and there was just, 
I wanted to stop so bad coming out, but you literally can't. So that's the, that's the kind of the mind fuck with ultra marathon running or especially self-supported, which Regis does a lot more self-supported stuff. So he knows its mentality is that it got to the point where I was like, I literally cannot stop. Like I have to get my ass out of this canyon. Like I have to get my ass out of this canyon. And that was really my mindset the whole day is like my, all I thought about the first half of the day was like, just get to the North Rim. That's all you have to do is get to the North Rim. Cause if you get to the North Rim, you have to get yourself back. Right. And so at that point in time, I'm like, well, I have to get myself out of this hole. And so I just kind of had this mentality where you just keep moving forward. I had that in my hundred K, but these longer ultra distances, it's like you, you either you, you really don't have the option unless I guess you're in a race and you drop out, but you literally just keep moving. That's all you do. You just one foot in front of the other. It's a mental game. Physically, I really didn't feel that bad, but you know, you're just get you're so sick of eating food and drinking things by this point in time. So we're climbing and we're climbing and every so often Regis will stop. We'll kind of like get some food, sit for a second, get some water, regroup. And then we kept going. And so we got um, almost to the very top. And it's funny, Regis gets really dramatic and he does get tired and burn out, even though he is really, really intense and strong and tough and whatever you want to call it. And so we were almost at the very top and he just was like, we've got to be freaking done. And I was like, and I kind of remembered it, recognized it from when I came out with Reagan when we did it the year before, even though it was pitch black at this point in time. And so finally we round a few more corners. And then of course the last little bit is super, super steep. And we got out and I don't, I want to say it was 9 p.m. I don't remember, but it was like exactly 17 hours later, or maybe it was a 15, 15 to 17 hours. How long was I in that canyon for? I want to, oh, I don't remember guys. It was 15 or 17 hours. I really don't remember, but it was definitely well over half of the day. Um, and there, I want to say it was 5 a.m. till 9 p.m. So like 16 or 17 hours, I think it was. I think 16 might be actually what it was. I apologize. But anyway, we got out of the canyon. It's pitch black. There's no one there. It's winter. And then we had to run slash walk back to our car, which was three miles away. There's a flat trail that takes you there. We would have got a shuttle if we had got out of the canyon time, but there's no shuttles that run that late in the winter. A lot of things are closed down there. And so it's at this point in time, I'm in every single layer that I have. I am freezing. My hands are completely numb. Our phones are dead because the, the batteries are cold and they're zapped. So we have like, both have like three to 5% left on our phones that we're trying to just make sure our maps are correct and we're getting back to where we need to be. It's like 22 degrees. I think the, the chill, it's like 17 degrees. We tried to hitchhike, no one would pick us up. And so we, that felt like the, I thought coming out of that canyon was like the longest eternity of my life. But truly those three miles back to the rental car, might have been the longest. I mean, you think of a, if you're a runner and you run marathons and ultra marathons, you're like three miles is kind of like, eh, whatever, that doesn't take that long. But at that moment in time, it was 9 p.m. frozen. You had just crossed the entire Grand Canyon and back and you are dreaming of your warm rental car. You're so gross. You smell so bad. You're so sweaty. You're so dirty. It's so cold outside and you just kept moving forward and moving forward and moving forward. And Regis and me were going in between shuffling and not. He was a little more hurting than me. I wasn't really sore and nothing really hurt me at this point in time. Um, other than my freaking foot. I've kind of forgot that now until I bring it up. But besides that, my body felt fine. I kind of kept going. And we finally got to the rental car completely exhausted. So that is my room to room term stories. The Messy Middle Podcast will be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. So it was a long 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 day we started at 3 a.m and i think we got back to the airbnb at like i don't know like 
midnight, 1 a.m. the next day. So we were up for almost a full day, moving 50 miles, um, however many hours that it took. But it was a really, really incredible experience. It was really cool to experience the Grand Canyon like that. So like I said, I had been there a few times, and I kind of like put my feet in the water a little bit more each time. And I really, really got to experience the full thing. It was absolutely wild. I mean, when I finished it, I was like, I will never do that again. But I thought that was the – that truly – felt like the hardest thing I'd ever done in my life and I feel like after my 100k I like repressed how bad that sucked because I just finished it and I didn't think about it I just kind of like blocked it out um I guess our brains do that as a mental protection thing but I feel like when I was coming out of the Grand Canyon in the dark and it's cold it was just like this flashback to the middle of the night um of my 100k that middle 15 miles and then that last eight that felt like they went on forever and it was like all the emotions and feels and how hard that actually was at the time came flashing back while I was also experiencing one of the hardest things I've ever done. So it like compounded. And at the time, my foot hurt from just hiking on it all day. I don't even think anything was wrong with it. I just, the arch of my foot hurt from hiking on it on rocks all day. I'm just, I just went out of the canyon. I'm so tired. And you just have to keep moving forward. And that's the silliest thing. I mean, when I was in my 100K, and you guys can go back and listen to those podcast episodes, I just kept saying, you know, steady. Steady is the only thing that I thought the entire time because you can't really respond to emotions because you can't quit. You can't stop. You just can't lay and fall asleep in the middle of the Grand Canyon or whatever it is. And so once we finally got out, I was I was pretty wrecked, um, but Regis was too. It was, it was hard. It was a very hard thing, probably one of the hardest things I've ever done, and especially considered it was a self-supported ultra event. I would say that that made it so much harder because you're mentally reliant on yourself the entire day. Obviously, I had Regis kind of, I mean, we were, we really spent most of the day running alone other than the few times that we would stop and talk and refill water and joke around and stuff like that. But for the most, the majority part of the day, you know, 85% of it, you're alone in your own head for hours and hours, just forcing yourself to keep moving forward. And then, you know, I did have the relief of the few hikers that I got to joke around with. There's only about three of them the entire day. So there's no humans. It's just you, your own thoughts and your brain, which can be really incredible and magical. And was one of the super awesome parts about outdoors and hiking and trail running. But when you're doing something that mentally and physically taxing, it can just, it's, it's hard and it's okay to say it's hard. And that's what it was. It was very, very hard. I would say the last maybe three miles of coming out of that canyon were some of the hardest miles or things that I've done in my life. But of course, I'm better for it now. I have no regrets. And to be honest, now that I'm distanced from it, because this is ultra running, is that I miss it and I want to do crazy things again, right? So sometimes you just need to take a step back to realize that those things are really incredible. And so I'm still very grateful that I had those moments of trail joy in the bottom. And that was a huge bucket list thing for me. And I'm so glad that I did it. But Regis and I were actually going to try to do it over Thanksgiving a few years ago after my uh, 25K, my first 25K before I even had done and no, yeah, before I'd even done an ultra marathon. And I am safe to say that I am very glad that I was much better trained for that than I would have been at that point in time. So keeping that in mind that I think when I had just done my first 25k that if I had jumped to rim to rim to rim, it might have been a little aggressive. But of course, if you can just get yourself to keep moving forward, that's one thing if your body's well conditioned and shaped, like who am I to say that you can't do things. But keeping that in mind that at this point in time, that was the eighth ultra distance event that I had done in my 10th um, trail running event or experience that I had done. So with a million other hikes and things in there. So I think experience helped a lot with carrying me through the whole entire day. So 
Hopefully you guys learned something from that. You enjoyed that story a little bit. I'm a little distanced from it. So obviously I don't have as much memories to recall because things fade, but that was really the day. Um, just a lot of moving and dirt and beauty and trail joy and pain and all that crap. So now to finish out this long solo episode, I am going to go through the questions that you guys asked me. I have a list here um, and I'm going to go through and answer them the best I can. So a lot of you guys were interested in what food I packed. So I kind of packed the same stuff that I know that sits well with my gut and my stomach um, with all things. Since this was a little bit longer effort, I was going to have a little bit more whole foods than I would for maybe like a two or three hour run, right? So I'm going to have things for something like this. I packed... Um, Salt and vinegar chips are a staple, goldfish crackers, tons of goos and sports gels. I patched, pe packed peach rings, candy, things like that. Um, I also had a ton of Rice Krispie treats, a couple cliff bars, and kind of that kind of stuff. So a mix of like hiking stuff, so like cliff bars, um, easy digesting carbohydrates, a little bit more whole foods, but then also your classic sports nutrition products to get stuff down the patch. I packed Tailwind, so I packed individual baggies of Tailwind, but I also prepped my bottles with Tailwind since I knew that we were going to filter water, refill water along the way. I would pour Tailwind from little individual baggies into my bottle so that I was drinking carbohydrate while I was also eating it. And I did pretty well. I stayed on top of my food the whole day. I started eating basically the second I touched the trail. I ate a Rice Krispie treat like right off the bat. Um, I also ate a lot of those little squeezy applesauce packets. I think looking back, um, I think we thought we were going to finish in 15 hours. And I think it took an hour or two longer than we anticipated. And so um, I wish I had packed just a little bit more whole food, but that was really hard for me to prepare or anticipate for because in my 100K, I barely ate a single thing of whole food. So I just, my stomach really cooperated that day. And it was I will tell you, doing ultra distance events and having your stomach cooperate is a beautiful thing. Hopefully that is the new trend for me. And so, yeah, that's what I packed. And then I packed probably about two liters of water. I had a large water flask and then two bottles up front with, and then my filter bottle. And we were able to refill water um, at Phantom Ranch. There was a river crossing a little bit, a few miles between Phantom Ranch and then climbing up to the North Rim. And then right at the base of the North Rim and then on the way back, so about three places coming back and four places going down when we came down Bright Angel because there was water there. So again, I use a Cadran water flask. Um, they also have larger water bottles, but basically you just scoop it up and then I I like swish it through the filter and I squeeze it up to refill my bottles and that's how we got through the day. If you go during times of the year where water's turned on, which I believe is in April or May, and then they get shut up after October, I think. Um, you'll be able to have fountain sources of water as well as you're going across the canyon. So just look into it. Times of year, um, they might post on the National Park website what's open, what's not, but you are able to filter water, but you might look at trail conditions just to make sure that water's flowing, especially in the summer, things might be dried up. So don't rely on anything. Um, so in the winter, you might have more flowing water sources, where in the summer, you might have more fountains. But again, don't say little list that there be water. Check with the National Park Service before you do anything, especially when you're doing something like this where you need water to survive. Um, where I stayed, I stayed in Flagstaff in an Airbnb, but again, like I said, you can camp at the South Rim. Um, we just stayed in Flagstaff. It's the closest city that you're gonna get to it that's kind of more populated. Um, what are my tips for newbies? So if you're a newbie hiker, I definitely, okay, I'm going to say this with all the love in the world. I think rim to rim to rim is an incredibly hard feat. So if you're a newbie, maybe make that a long-term goal. Like I said, it's been about four or five years of me doing this before I attempted something like this. Um, 
and I probably could have done it sooner, but granted, if you're a newbie, I would suggest just giving yourself grace. Like I said, maybe do some of those smaller hikes, get used to more extreme terrain, bigger hikes, things like that getting your feet wet, getting really good at hiking uphill and controlling yourself downhill, doing your strength training, your step-ups, your lunges, all that good stuff that even us advanced people do to get your body really strong and build a good cardiovascular base. The best thing that you can do if you're a newbie and you want to do something like this is truly just gain fitness. Like I believe fitness is truly freedom. Like I got to do this incredibly cool experience because I had fitness and that's such a gift and such a blessing and I know not everyone can do that or they have that ability but really truly if you're a newbie like get experience outdoors get comfortable and confident outdoors but then just gain fitness that sounds so simple and you know obviously there's a lot of layers to that I have resources to help you do that but get an aerobic base and get strong so that you can carry your packs and you know bring your legs up hills and things like that never underestimate how much that goes a little goes a long long way especially in things like that what was my favorite section? So I would say my favorite section was that middle uh, bottom part where it was really flat and I just got to run and have trail joy and be in the canyon like really far away, no people, you're not at the rims, there's no one there and it was just like full stoke, holy shit, I'm in the Grand Canyon. Um, a couple of you guys did ask about how I felt coming back out and so when coming out of the Grand Canyon's hard, it, like I, I don't think that changes no matter how fit or unfit you are. Obviously, it's going to be slower or maybe a little more painful. Your legs are going to blow up a little bit more if you're a little more out of shape. But honestly, uh, hard is hard, and if you, you know, if you're going at your maximal intensity, so yeah, it did suck and it was hard. Uh, but I definitely think that that middle part made it all the more worth it. And then obviously, running downhill in the canyon is like one of my favorite things to do. The few times that I've done it, it has been so freaking fun. Um, it's you if you can run downhill, you can just fall quickly, and it's super cool. I mean, you can get to the bottom. I think I've got to the bottom both times in like an hour and a half, seven miles in an hour and a half, or something like that, or an hour. I don't know, something crazy like that. I don't know, very, very, very quickly for ascending downhill in a canyon with rocks and things like that. Um, so I would say though that that middle section was a really cool thing to be able to experience and then seeing the North Rim and being like in the heart of the Grand Canyon, something I never really kind of thought that I would get to see and do that seemed like mythical to me at one point in my life. It just, I always really appreciate those things. How did I prepare? So I trained for a 100k ultramarathon. <laughs> That's the truth. I didn't do any running leading up to it. Regis and I knew that it was an option, but we also knew that it was, you know, possibly not going to happen because of weather or things like that. So I didn't want to like pour my heart and soul into training for something that I knew that I would have been prepared enough to do at the time. Um, really, there's not much I would have done different other than maybe a couple long runs again, but I was recovering from my 100k and I knew that my body needed that more than more training. So I just kind of let that happen. But training for my 100k, is what prepared me for this. Regis and I do a lot of training in the North Georgia mountains. So, and that's a non-understandable way for anyone who doesn't live in Georgia of saying we did a lot of steep, rocky, rolling, vertical, vertical climbing and descending all summer long. And I, that's basically how I prepared for it. I do a ton of strength training. Like I said, a lot of single leg step ups, lunges, split squats, all the good stuff. I do my general resistance training as it is. I have a good cardiovascular base and then just a lot of experience on trails for years. So I would say if you were going to do something like this as a trail run, I would prepare for it as if you were preparing for an ultra marathon. Truly, it is a it is an ultra marathon. And so while self-supported stuff can go be a little slower and there's no like cutoffs or anything like that, um, 
keeping in mind that I'm not the fastest out there, but I'm not the slowest. So about 16 hours is what it took us. And I would say I'm an upper mid pack person in trail races. So keeping that in mind, depending on where your fitness shape is, there's people who are a lot fitter than me. I think like the record of the fastest known time of it is for women is like maybe 10 or 11 hours. Um, Maybe it's lower now, but I think for men, it's like eight or nine. I could be wrong. You can fact check me. I'm not entirely sure, but that's kind of be the elite of the elite. And then if you are slower than that, it might take you upwards of a day, 24 hours, which again, you can do that. I mean, that's how long my 100K took. I moved for 23 hours. I'm not saying that's bad or wrong, but keeping in mind that kind of preparation where you would need to be able to move and be on your feet that long. So back-to-back long runs or really long hikes, things like that. So obviously we didn't run the whole thing. It was a lot more runnable than my 100K. Um, You're hiking a lot coming out, but there's a lot of running in the Grand Canyon. I know that sounds silly, but a lot of that bottom part and going down is runnable. And so you are going to run. So being able to like run and turn your legs over fast for long periods of time and recover and be able to keep going is going to be huge. And then having the ability to hike and climb. So the Grand Canyon kind of gives it all. You have to be able to have your legs be recovered from downhill running, be able to climb uphill and have be able to actually run for miles and miles and miles and recover from all three. So the, the way I prepared is I just trained for ultra marathons and I felt like that actually gave me, you know, the perfect amount of training that I needed to do for this. I think ideally I would have rather have done this in the fitness that I was in right after I did the 50 or the 37 miler that I did in late September. So if I had done this early October, about two weeks after that, I think I would have been a lot better shape. I think I could have done it a little bit faster. Um, I definitely lost some fitness with tapering. That kind of happens. Um, and then I didn't run anything after my 100K. So basically for a month and a half leading into it, the only thing I had done was 100K and like that was it. So I definitely lost some fitness. I was probably in way better shape right at the peak of before my taper. And that's when I would have more ideally liked to do this. So if I was to recreate this again, I would have done it as if I trained probably for a 50K to 50 mile, which can be very similar in their training. Um, give or take. And so I would have done that then more ideally. But other than that, treat like an ultra marathon, which ultra can help you do that. Um, What did I pack in my pack besides food? So I had trekking poles, water bottles, all I had leggings, shorts, an extra pair of socks, which I kept in a baggie. So just in case they got wet, I had a dry pair of socks. Um, I had my extra jacket, headlamps, med kit, an extra headlamp, extra batteries. And I think that is it besides food. My f- pack was packed with f- really just food and layers and then of space for water as we went along. But so med kit, headlamp, spare batteries or spare headlamp, always make sure you have extra. Um, and then layers really is that's what I had in my pack. Um, and then I guess I had trekking poles. And yes, I used trekking poles hiking out of the canyon both ways. And I put, I took them off. I didn't really use hiking poles a whole bunch in the middle section um, all the time. I kind of would intermittently go between them. So sometimes I would, I would just carry them in my hand. And sometimes I'd use them. And sometimes I would run with them in my hand. So I had them open when I was in the bottom, but I didn't, I didn't use them consistently. It was kind of on and off. Um, but anything that's that big of ascending or uphill climbing or hiking, I'm 100% using trekking poles. I use my alternate direction ones. I absolutely love them. I think they're really good. I used my black diamond ones the last time I was there in March. I didn't have ultimate direction ones at the time. And I'm actually, I really like the ultimate direction ones. They're a little bit lighter. 
um, and they're pretty sturdy and they're really comfortable. I have no issues with them. So that's what I used and I used them going up. So yes, trekking poles, use trekking poles. I'd encourage you to practice using them or hiking or running with them prior to that. But I mean, if you don't, it's not a huge deal, but just so you get a feel for how to actually use them and the mechanics with them and relying on them. Water sources, we covered that. Um, paces and distance, you should be able to run to attempt. So I kind of already talked about this, but I would be able to move for at least 10 hours straight, like be able to about or about eight to 10 hours, 50% of the time or whatever it would take you. So 50% of the time that you assume that this would take you, I'd probably be able to move. That's also a good general rule of thumb for ultra running for longer events, like my longest run was probably about nine hours for my 100k which is a little less than that but pretty good um and I would be able to I think we sustained about a 20 minute mile pace which seems not a lot but remember you're hiking and that's a little bit slower which is pretty good for the vert and everything we were doing kind of slow for us to be honest but it's hard to gauge because you're doing a lot of downhill running and then a lot of climbing which your pace is all over the place so I wouldn't worry about a specific pace but I think I would be able to, I would be able to like say you were comfortable doing at least 50k distance if you're going to do a rim to rim to rim straight in one day. Um, now, if you're hiking it and you're backpacking, I would say probably being able to backpack what like a well, it depends on how many days you want it to take you, but you know being able to backpack a com comfortable distance that you can recover from the next day, so maybe 10 to 12 miles with the, your pack that you're carrying. So if people do the backpacking of it, um, you again you need passes for that, but you're gonna go down, you're gonna camp at Phantom Ranch or the campground a little further up. I don't remember the name of, and then you can camp at the North Rim if you want and come back down, or you can you know spend two nights. So you go halfway, spend a night, go out, come back spend a night and come out. A lot of people do that. Um, so I don't do a ton of backpacking, so I can't really say for sure, but I would say being comfortable moving for the full day kind of thing and getting whatever fitness that you usually do for that. Step ups, you could do stair stepper or, you know, stairs with heavy packs, preparing yourself for that because you're going to have to carry everything on you um, and being able to climb uphill and downhill with weight on your back. So whatever you feel like they need to do in the days that you're doing that, um, but yeah, I mean, hiking, it would definitely be a little less strenuous, of course, because you can actually stop and rest and recover versus if you're going to do it in an all out attempt, I mean, treat it like an ultra marathon and experience is going to be really key in that. Not, I mean, not that you can't do it before that, but just make sure you're careful. You do your research and you feel confident that even if your fitness status isn't there, that you'll be able to still complete it, even though it will hurt a lot the next day. Um, Best time to visit. So March and November are actually pretty good times as long as the weather's cooperating. I would say maybe I've never been there in April or October, but I would assume those shoulder seasons are going to be some of the better weather before it gets really, really hot or before it's super, super snowy. So I would say that like, I think based off what I see in the ultra running scene that they call it um, canyon season and like October, November when it's getting colder, it's not as hot, but it's actually very, very nice inside the canyon. So I would say those shoulder seasons are going to be a little more popular, but then you're not going to always have the most, the access, things like that. So I would look into this to be sure, but I think 
May 1st might be, it's either April or May 1st when the shuttle starts. So if you didn't want to do rim to rim to rim, you could also just do a rim to rim and you could hike that in a day or run that in a day. And that's half the distance. It's just going from north to south or south to north. But they do offer, offer shuttle services that will take you back and forth between that if that's something that you're interested in. And that would be a way for you to experience the full canyon without doing the whole round trip thing. So I would say that if you were maybe in like 25K shape, you would probably be able to finish that in a day. I would say that would be a fair estimate of that. And that would be a great option. Just make sure that you're going during the seasons um, when you can shuttle yourself and start at a time of day, carry enough water and have a fitness and be safe while you're doing that because um, it will get very hot in the bottom if you're going in the summer or things like that. Okay, yeah. So going back through these questions, that looks like that's just about everything. I hope that helps you guys. Um, to sum it up, Grand Canyon is freaking incredible. It's a roller coaster of emotions. Ultra running is so hard and so rewarding. I would definitely say this is not meant to scare you, but it's not for the faint of heart. It's very hard. It's a self-supported ultra attempt. Rim to rim is going to be a little bit more friendly if you can do that. The um, If you're going in the off-season when there isn't shuttles, the Cowboy Loop is also another fantastic option to get the similar experience of going down to the river and coming back out in the day or just going to the river and back. But I would definitely encourage you um, to experience, you know, both Bright Angel and South Kaibab if you have the opportunities. They have both different and incredible views um, on each in the spectrum. Get in the canyon, view the side, take a donkey if you need to. You can do that if you're, you know, not in the best uh, shape or you don't feel safe or you have some other physical limitations. You, there's options to get into the canyons on donkeys if that's something that you're able to do. And if not, at the least, go to the rim, look at that beautiful hole, go at sunrise, watch it rise over the canyon. I'm telling you that there is nothing like watching the sunrise over the Grand Canyon. It's really incredible. And so, yeah, if you guys go, let me know. Good luck. Uh, have so much fun. Be smart. Please be safe. Look into it. Look at the website. Do your research. Um, hopefully, everything that I said here today is helpful. And if you genuinely want to do something like this, Ultra would be a fantastic resource. If you don't have a good baseline of fitness, starting with Endure and building yourself up, but then going into Ultra and using that as a template, the 50K one, um, even if you hiked some of it and you didn't run and hiked some of that template and did a lot of strength training alongside of it, you would definitely be in great shape for doing this. And, and that's it. So thank you guys so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Messy Middle Podcast. I hope you learned something from it. I hope you gained something. And if anything, I hope you got some stoked to go do some badass, awesome things out in nature this year. So don't forget, if you enjoy this podcast, to rate, review, subscribe, share in your stories, tag us, tell your mom, tell your dog, tell your dad. We appreciate the support so much. And we will catch you guys on next week's episode. And in the meantime, I want you to live well, demand better, and yes, stay messy.